Thanks so much for your, your patience. Um, we're going to go ahead and, and get started here. We're, we're now on television and um, certainly want to have a full program and, and want to make sure that we get everything in. Um, and just to sort of level set for you, um, I want to let you know that there's going to be about 30 minutes where we're going to hear um, presentations from students who attend Denver Justice um, School and then high school. And then we will have a panel discussion regarding policing and safety in DPS. And we have um, members from the police department who've come here to speak with us as well as community leaders. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about our board, but in the interest of time, I wanted to go ahead and have the students go ahead and begin with their presentations, which relate to community. And certainly when we think about um, safety in schools, it, we're all concerned about that issue. You know, we all live in this community. And so I'm very interested in hearing what the students have to say. Um, with that, I would like to introduce the principal of Denver Justice um, high, high School, uh, Principal Parse. Stephen Parse, right. Good evening. Welcome to Denver Justice High School. Thank you for joining us. Um, wanted to share a little bit about, the, about Denver Justice High School and how we connect with the community. In Denver Justice High School, we are a small alternative high school for Denver Public Schools that serves students throughout the entire city and county of Denver. And before I get ahead of myself, let me st start with introductions. To my left is my outstanding assistant principal, Tyler Bauer. To his left is a phenomenal graduating senior, Jenna Kenley. And to her left is our Dean of Students, Yakane Setaways. And with traffic this evening, we have a couple other students who are hoping to be en route and getting through traffic safe and sound. In part wanting to share about the school, because our goal as an alternative education campus in Denver for Denver Public Schools is we serve students throughout the entire metro area who have traditionally not had success in a traditional environment or traditional campus. They come to us throughout the school year. We operate on a nine-week quarter basis, which is different from a traditional school who is on an 18-week semester. When students come here, they're often coming here with a goal to get their high school diploma and prepare for the post-secondary pathway, that they have often had issues, be it with attendance, feeling like a round peg in a square hole, discipline, sometimes um, with the courts itself, but they're working to get their life back on track and be very successful. As a public charter school, we operate um, with a general funding from Denver Public Schools, but we're always looking for additional resources. We don't have the same full resources that are available to the traditional schools in Denver as our goal to help our students get their diploma and move on. Um, every so often, Mr. Bauer will be just jumping in and joining me and talking about Denver Justice High School. As a school itself, this is our 10th year of operation. Uh, our Every nine weeks, I mentioned we have brand new students joining us. We have about 100 students. At the beginning of January, we'll be taking in additional students who are on their goal to earn their diploma, earn those credits, and choose a post-secondary pathway. And part of it, talking about students, I may just jump and have Ms. Jenna read talking about community for both some of her own writing and reading some of her peers' writing. Awesome, thank you. Thank you guys all for coming out tonight. Um, first off, I wanna read something that a student had wrote here. And his name is Samuel Vasquez. And he said, Community Night at Justice High School. Denver Justice High School isn't very known in the community. Personally, I haven't heard of it until this year. 
But the moment I walked in, I attended the school for the first time here. I felt welcomed because, big or not, they are a community themselves. As a community, they make people feel safe. They are straightforward. People, um, people feel safe. They're straightforward. People are a problem for me is finding a high school that fits me, that I can feel comfortable, and justice is the perfect place that even include a community night. I feel as if this school is an top and a coming school, is an environment that everyone would want to be in. Here we aren't our school where you can just do as you please. Also, your phone's in class for no disruptions. Also, we can't wear our hoodies on meaning you can't just go around hiding your face. It's technically the start of preparation for the real world. The real world communities we talk and treat everyone the same as the grown young adults. We are in the return for the teachers. We do our best to act like it. We all come together here as a family, as one. We're all the same, tracking to keep you motivated, to keep pushing, to keep to over succeed your goals. To me, this school is a great community. Okay, and then I wrote one myself. <laughs> How is justice community to me? Justice has such an impact on me and to other students. They're truly a family to me. We can come together as a community, and whatever issue I'm facing, I have a shoulder to lean on. And I have plenty of resources that help me. Sometimes on the mornings, I dread. They make me feel so much better, though, throughout the day. I feel complete with justice. I feel powered. I feel safe in this environment, and I feel complete. Some people say it's a school. I say it's the best stepping stone to my future. And also, I have two other things. Um, Josephine's here. Oh, Josephine? Hey. Hi. Hi. Right. Can you tell us your name? Uh, my name is Josephine Key. Is that it? <laughs> and you, you attend the school? Yes. What, what grade are you in? Uh, currently, I'm like a junior, but I'm going to be a senior. Great. Thank you for being here. We're ready to hear from you. All right. Um, I said, community is something you can be born into or something you can find later in life. I think knowing the importance of community is special because a small pocket of indi indigenous people that I have been surrounded by my whole upbringing and to now, not all students that come to Denver Justice High School knows what it is to be from that, but we all come from other communities. Being at Justice gives us all the equal chance to go further than just high school. We all have an equal chance to learn and learn from each other and around us. Mutual respect is required within any community. At some point, we are all newbies, but through the help of others and experience, you can become self-sustained and know who you are. Knowledge is powerful and such a gift that can never truly be paid back. In life, though, we never go back, uh, but forward, then you become the teacher. Thank you. Um, and this is also from another student. His name is Drabon Pickett. Um, it says, it takes a village to raise a boy. I thank you, Dad, for giving me this life. I love you for being my dad. You taught me what it is not to have a lot. I thank you, Mama. I come from you. I love you. You're giving me my culture. You taught me how to be a man. I love you, Grandma, Grandpa and Grandma. You've helped me survive. I love you for being so forgiving. You taught me me patience. I thank you for your mentoring, your helping me to get to this point. I love you for always being there. You taught me that when life's hard, someone can help you. I thank my village, and I love my village. Some of the different themes that you heard the students talk about in their individual writings and those writings of their peer students are talking about community and healing and moving forward. 
part of some different practices we work on are our restorative approaches practice in a huge sense in trying to build a community and connecting with the students. One of the persons I'm going to ask to people, and I'm asked to speak is Mr. Sedaways, who's our Dean of Students who deals with discipline, but also talking about how we worked on forming this partnership and the benefit for our community. So thank you for having us tonight. Um, one thing I would like to talk about is how we be became a partner with the OIM, which is Office of Independent Monitoring. Um, I've worked closely with them um, over the last three years. Um, two years currently here with Denver Justice. And uh, last year we formed that partnership by having Office of Independent Monitoring come in and speak with our youth along with uh, DPS or DPD, Denver Public uh, Police Department. And a lot of the reasons why I saw that as an important piece to what we do here at Denver Justice was to bridge the gap that we find consistent throughout our communities in police involving um, or policing the, our communities, meaning interactions with our youth. Um, and it's a very, very um, important piece for me because I, I, I interact with our students a lot and empowering them to have the skills and the insight and the wherewithal to be able to effectively engage law enforcement to where um, both sides will find a, a, a cohesive way of interacting was very, very important to me. And so through these conversations with the partnership of Office of Independent Monitoring, it helped leverage um, perspective with our youth and seeing that it wasn't just an authority and a, a a, a scenario with their engagement, um, it was more of a partnership in wanting to maintain a, har a harmonious community. And so um, that played very well with our students and them knowing that it's not so much them being a target, but more so them understanding that there was a relationship that needed to be developed to where we could all have a safe and, and, and viable community. Um, this year, we've had a lot of success in the, that partnership where we found a lot of our students who formerly um, were very, very, very opposed to police interaction, um, so much so to where last year they would not even attend the sessions where they would have conversations with officers. Um, through a lot of tug and war, um, thankful to the staff here, we were able to get them inclusive in these conversations. And it really, really made a tremendous impact in their narrative of policing in the communities and then also their individual rights and their role and responsibility as citizens in the community as well. And so um, we've, we've, we really value the partnership and we see that this will be a longstanding relationship with OIM, knowing that the impact is very, very well received by our students and seeing that it will, you know, matriculate out into the communities and have ram very good ramifications from it. So they educated, no. um, the education, not just the formal academics, but as a full citizen and is looking for our students to be involved in the community itself. A lot of our students talk about a lot of their career plans looking after high school. Some of them are planning to go directly to college, be it a four-year college, a two-year community college, looking at different trade schools. Some of them are looking to join the service and joining the Marines, Army, different branches, and a lot of them going direct to work. So looking for our goal to be prepared, active, involved citizen across the board. So we're thrilled to have this opportunity for the past two years and continuing helping our students with that growth. Part of it is building a community as a school on a regular basis throughout the year. We normally hold six community nights of our own. 
and it's one of our ways for us to build that contact with the parents, students, of sitting down together, breaking bed, bread, and talking about different updates. If you have a chance for some of the desserts later on, you'll find those are from some of our students in our culinary class with Mr. Langle. So learning some additional skills and trades themselves. Whether you're feeding yourself or feeding your community is an important aspect. In addition, normally at our community nights, we update our parents of some of the different things that are going on. So some of those updates, whether the parents are listening on TV at this moment or they're present here in the audience, that at the, one of the recent Board of Education meetings for Denver Public Schools, we were thrilled that we had our contract with Denver Public Schools renewed. So we have a two plus one contract renewal, which will allow us as a public charter school to continue to work and serve our students and help them move forward. We would like to thank the board for that trust in us and continued growth. Part of that is based on, we're thrilled that over the last two years, as a school academically we've improved, that last year we had moved up from red to yellow on the school performance framework for Denver and the state of Colorado. This year continue to move up on a higher yellow and on our path to improve to green and blue, which just shows the strength and improvement of the academic education that the students are receiving, both formally and in addition to the civic skills that students are learning during that time. We're also thrilled some of you who came in here personally can see part of the construction chaos that we've been working with Denver schools to have a lift built so it provides full level access to all of our students, whether they have mobility issues or not, which is an important goal for us. In addition, we're very excited that we'll be starting an athletic season, and I'm gonna segue back to Mr. Setaways, who also wears the additional hat of being our basketball coach. So I've had the benefit to be the boys and girls head basketball coach for the last two years. Um, and those years have yielded a great success, not only for the participating students in the program, but also as a moral compass for the school and just giving us an energy and a drive, uh, bonding us closer together as a family and also giving us a sense of achievement and knowing that we are capable to achieve at high, high, high rates. Um, last year, um, we started with the boys basketball program um, and we literally went undefeated throughout the whole season, finishing the regular league, uh, winning the championship. Um, and then we transitioned over to the tournament, uh, which was held at Pepsi Center. And we came out victorious there, finishing in first place as well. Um, and so those were the two trophies that we were able to put in, into the school first in history, which I was really, really proud of. Uh, throughout the girls' season, we did finish in second place um, thank you. <laughs> the girls basketball season, uh, we finished in second place. We went undefeated throughout the regular season. We took one loss throughout the championship in the playoff, um, which that's what led us to us finishing second. Um, but again, the morale, the sense of achievement, um, just the, the, the confidence level, it really, really peaked and spiked throughout the school. And it really, really bridged a lot of different gaps that we found within just being a wholesome family. Um, and I think that's a huge part of what really brings that family nexus um, throughout the school is just having these types of programs. Um, this year, we're, we've worked um, due to um, some trying times and, and just not having the resources. We as a team collectively have worked to raise up to and maybe almost $3,000 to provide um, the season for us uh, that consisted of paying the league fees, the tournament fees, um, and then also at this point still trying to raise more res uh, funds to 
provide uniforms for the for the students. And so uh, that's that's kind of where we are, and uh, we're still ambitious about reaching that goal to where we can provide our students with those uniforms, um, to where we can look like a unified team. Um, aside from that. We're also in the process of raising funds as well for our girls' basketball team, which is to start in uh, late January, beginning of February. And so we're really about the mission of making sure that we have the resources in place to make sure we can have a season for our girls' basketball team. Um, and so that being said, uh, we, we're open and we're thankful for any donations that you find that you're able to contribute to the cause in the event that uh, that that is, you know, something that you're able to do. Uh, we we're a tight bonded family here, and uh, we're really working to make sure our students have things in place and resources in place to continue out their endeavors here at Justice High School. If I could, I'm a silent panelist here, so I finally say something. Um, I want to I want to give some kudos to you, Mr. Setaways, and and add something as well that um, we we serve a population of young people that have been through some some profound difficulties, a lot of trauma. And to take a group of young men that weren't used to winning and a group of young women that weren't used to winning or having that cohesion and go first and second in city, and here we are, we don't have a gym as well. So I wanted to tack that on. Not having a gym and um, needing uniforms, and you have a group of young people that are th achieving like that and getting that kind of confidence under their belt was beautiful. And so we're, we're going to do it again. We're going to figure a way. But if there's anything that you can do to help us, that yeah, would be appreciated. I would be remiss if I didn't jump in just quickly um, to talk a little bit about our passion for, I feel like I'm really leaning for this, our passion for our students here um, and how hard we've worked to create a culture that feels like home and, uh, and feels welcoming and it feels safe uh, to, to kind of dovetail into tonight's theme for you all. Um, having a school that feels safe in a place where uh, people assume that there would be a lack of safety and, uh, and we, we don't have that. We have students that enjoy coming here. Um, we have education first. We have order where kids are used to chaos and, uh, and they are delightful students. They're really delightful. And so what we've done with culture is we've built in a number of incentives, trips, um, things that are predictable that enrich the lives of our students that might not have had those things up till now and getting education to be something that's engaging, it's relevant, and it, it has a a trajectory. It's going somewhere. We have 11 students that um, this quarter, end of this quarter, graduate, and eight of them are applied to a college or accepted to a college um, in Colorado. So eight of 11 this quarter is very exciting for us when we have a student body our size. So crafting that culture here, not only it being warm, but it having a future, and along the way having trips for kids that are doing well in class, um, it's, it's been a passion of ours, and it's, um, we've come a long way. We still have work to do. There are days where Mr. Setaways and I look at each other and just stare for a minute. <laughs> have we done this with our lives? But it's, it's been remarkable work, and our teaching staff um, is absolutely top-notch doing this work. I'll throw it back to you. All right. <laughs> Other announcements to a chair of the community. <clears throat> talked about trips for positive behavior and reinforcement. We are thrilled that we were able to take several of our students up to the mountains. For some of them, it was their first opportunity. 
even though they've lived here and grown up in Denver, to go up to the mountains and have that experience and seeing a variety of minerals and connect with nature. So that was phenomenal. And coming up tomorrow, uh, Mr. Byron, Mr. Setaways will be taking our students on some of the other cultural opportunities that are here in our city, including the Denver Art Museum, the Mint, and the Museum of Nature and Science. So a lot of it just trying to say for all of our students, different opportunities that exist and making sure that they can move forward. As Mr. Barr said, at the end of December, 11 students who are finishing their graduation requirements continue to have other students do so throughout this academic school year. As a small school itself, last year we had our largest graduating class of 31 students. This year we're projecting 36 to 40 students. It'll depend on the additional students who may grow since we'll be taking additional students in, in January and March throughout the year. Since we take students in throughout the entire year, one of our challenges is, as alluded to, finding different resources. So at home, if you have extra copy paper, pens, other supplies that you would like to put in the hand of students to have them benefit, we would be very receptive of that for that opportunity to work as a public school. Other projects in trying to involve in community, we've had our students, one of the projects they chose as a school community was to do a marine send-off project that one of our alumni who is currently serving in the Marines in Okinawa, Japan, talked about how benefited, a huge benefit it is to receive communication from home. So our students did their own donation, bringing in a variety of snacks, different activities that the soldiers will have for them, as well as some different letters or notes. So we're looking forward to that. It's work currently, those packages are making their way to Japan, and we're looking forward to hearing the feedback from those Marines who will be receiving them. But that importance says involved community citizens. As restorative aspect, students are not only restoring themselves, but looking to be an active participating citizen in the world in a small setting. Other activities as a school itself, I'll have Mr. Bauer talk a little bit about our senior trip coming up at the end of the year, our continued preparation for our students with the SAT and PSAT, and then we'll wrap up in just a moment. Um, our senior trip at the end of the year, uh, we have traditionally gone to Lake Powell, and we've gotten away, and it's been beautiful. Some of the kids, um, I, I remember a young woman that said, the furthest I've ever been from Denver is the Mother Cabrini Shrine. She said it was terrifying. I've never been so far from town. And so we blasted out all the way to um, outside Idaho Springs, the St. Mary Glacier snowfield, and it felt like Everest. So that was the outside trip. Um, we are now taking our seniors to Taos. Last year we went down to Taos, New Mexico. We went rafting and camping and uh, went through Santa Fe, did all kinds of things. Um, they are, they're world-expanding trips, right? They make the world wider. They make it clear to you that there's lots of opportunity out there for wonderful young people like you. And so we're anxious to do that again this year. We're still fundraising for it, but it will happen. Um, and that's for all of our seniors uh, whenever they kind of reach their credit mark throughout the year. Graduating seniors go off to that with us. Um, so, so not only are there things like the trip that's happening tomorrow, the monthly trips, we also stage bigger trips to just get out, see how much bigger the world is than Denver, and, and find a new way to live a life you want to live out there that maybe you didn't know was possible. That's really um, a philosophical foundation of what we're trying to do for our young people. In closing, in closing, if you are looking for a school for yourself as a student or other people in the area, please contact us. Our website is denverjustice.org. Our phone number is 303-480-5610. We're a public school in Denver Public Schools that serves students grade 9 through 12. And we appreciate the opportunity to work with phenomenal students who make a difference now and in the future and a dedicated staff. Thank you. Wow, thank you.
Yes, um, absolutely want to thank um, Denver Justice High School for agreeing to host this uh, COB uh, public forum this quarter and um, just such a special school, uh, a special group of, of students and um, staff members who are, are do doing something that's that's pretty unique. Um, if you want to know more or learn more about the, the schools, denverjustice.org. I want to especially thank the students who had the courage to come up and um, share their thoughts and ideas. Um, I mean, you know, the youth are clearly the future and it's very inspiring to hear from you both. So thank you. Um, with, with that, um, we're going to take a quick pause um, and get our panelists up um, who are going to have a dialogue with us about safety in schools. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that the themes that we heard in, from, the, from the students regarding um, mutual respect, you know, culture, it takes a village, um, as well as some of the restorative approaches that are, are used. Um, so if you'll just bear with us just for a couple of minutes while we, while we switch things up. Thank you. Don't forget, am I still on it? Don't forget to uh, try out some of the desserts from our cooking class. Those are made by our young people. So just hit the table. Okay, everyone, <clears throat> thank you very much for um, allowing us to swap out our, our panel. We're, we're back. Um, again, this is the Citizen Oversight Board um, public forum, um, which we're mandated by ordinance to, to do. Um, we just heard from folks who uh, are part of the Denver Justice High School, which is where we're hosting this particular um, public forum. Um, and, and very interesting information that we got about that school as well as um, getting to hear from their students. This is a combination, our forum as well as their uh, parent night. Um, and so we, we have a nice mix of um, community members here, people who are new to the Citizen Oversight Board and people who, who come on a regular basis. Um, again, the Citizen Oversight Board, just very quickly, a quick overview, right? We're mandated by the Denver City Ordinance um, to do basically three things. To make policy level recommendations regarding um, issues like discipline, um, use of force. We're also um, mandated to address issues of concern to the community and also assess the effectiveness of the Office of the Independent Monitor. Uh, the monitor actively monitors investigations of police and sheriff misconduct. Now, our board um, does our recommendations are, are do not have to be followed? We do not have authority over the sheriff or the police department. We are an advisory role in a, an advisory role. But there are seven members who are appointed. A few people are actually out, out of town because of the holidays. Um, we have one, one person who's on on her way. Um, but we're seven members. We're volunteers appointed by the mayor. Um, and the way that we do our work is we have we have meetings with um, members of the safety department, the executive director of safety, the police chief, as well as the um, sheriff. And we meet with those individuals on a quarterly basis, as long as 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 well as regularly meeting with the independent monitor to hear about cases that are of, of great significance um, when it comes to these these issues our public meetings we try to 
address a topic that's of concern to the community. This is a topic that's come to our, our board um, over the last few several months, um, more rep regularly than it you know typically does, I think. Um, and so we, we picked this topic as uh, something to, to address. And what we're going to do is we're going to hear from um, individuals who look at and deal with these issues on a regular basis. Um, but before we do that, let me introduce to you um, the folks who are in front of you. Um, first, to my, to my right, your left, all the way, is a member of our board, um, Pastor Paul Burleson. And he's been on the board since its inception. Uh, and then next to me is uh, Francisco. Uh, I always skewed her name up. Gallardo. Sorry about that, Francisco. Uh, I am, again, the chair, Katina Banks. Uh, next to me is Denise Mays, who's the uh, director of public policy for the ACLU. Um, and then next to her is Ricardo Martinez, who's the executive director of um, Jovenes Unidos. Thank you very much. Um, next to him is Chief Ron Thomas with the Denver Police Department. He oversees um, school resource officers. That's one of his many responsibilities within the department. And next to him is, is a school resource officer, Officer um, um, Alba. Did I get that right? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. And then finally, um, next to him is the executive director of security for the D DPS, for Denver Public Schools, Mr. Mike, Michael Eden. And we're, what we're proposing is to have a these panelists uh, answer some questions um, and, and start a dialogue re regarding um, security and safety um, policing in poli Denver Public Schools. Um, we certainly will have public comment, um, questions about what you hear tonight, as well as anything else that you want to ask. I just want to remind you, though, that, again, the Citizens Oversight Board, we don't have authority, right, to, to change the rules and the laws. We, we make recommendations. We, we try to keep the public informed, and that's the purpose of this particular forum. Um, so the, we have these public meetings, and uh, this is the last one for this year, and we're, we're really grateful um, that you're here. Um, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and just do a quick primer uh, on security and um, police in the Denver Public Schools. It's on the screen over here, so I'm hoping that you can see this. Um, it, it's, it's not too lengthy, but it's just worth setting the stage, and then we will hear from uh, our panelists on these issues. Okay, so let's make sure I'm on. Yes. Great. Um, so there's the DPS. DPS has its own Department of Safety. Uh, and then there's also the Denver Police Department. So DPS's Department of Safety, um, it comprises 140 employees, and that they basically are responsible for um, providing safety and security um, to students in 207 schools that adds up to over 92,000 students that um, they're responsible for ensuring their safety and security. And the department has a number of responsibilities. I've, we've just listed a few here. They have 24-7 armed patrol response unit that will respond in the case of a, a major incident. Uh, they have a dispatch center. They also have unarmed campus safety officers. Um, those individuals are in the middle and high schools. Um, they have an emergency management training and compliance that they do. Um, 
they basically manage the security technology systems within the schools, uh, the video cams that, and things of that nature. And, and they also have an investigatory arm that we'll hear about. The Denver Public, sorry, the Denver Police Department also has officers or has a responsibility or role with regard to security and DPS, um, and these are called school resource officers. Um, and DPD basically provides these officers who are permanently assigned to the schools. These individuals are in 19 of the, the schools in the DPS, mostly those are high schools. So the police officers, so the security departments all over DPS system, the police department are in select, these select schools. Um, these individuals are all trained at the police academy and um, these individuals have discretion regarding writing tickets and, and the authority to make arrests. Um, their role within DPS is governed by an agreement called an intergovernmental agreement um, that you'll hear that IGA, and you may hear that um, discussed in that term bantered around tonight. So want to make sure you guys were aware that there's an agreement between DPS and the police department with, re with regard to school resource officers. Uh, when it comes to issues of discipline, right, um, discipline, there's, there are a few different parties that have a role to play there. There are rule violations and there are law violations, and the rule violations, those are addressed through the school, typically. That's the goal, anyway. That's the, the ideal. Um, and then law violations can be addressed either through intervention within the school or through the criminal justice system. And that's, frankly, why we wanted to have this conversation is because there, there tends to be that overlap. Um, there's also a discipline matrix which determines uh, what infractions are mandatory referrals, meaning they're referred out to the law enforcement um, community, to, to, excuse me, they're referred out to, to law enforcement. So something happens at the school, there are certain um, offenses that the school has to report to the police. <clears throat> And then finally, I, we, we wanted to share this chart, and we'll leave this up here during the course of this conversation because I think this sort of highlights, this. we think this highlights a little bit where there, there become some issues. So the left-hand column are mandatory reports to law enforcement, the kinds of things that have to get reported, things like child abuse, things like um, possession of uh, a knife or gun, sale or distribution of illegal drugs. Um, there's an option to report to law enforcement things like hazing, uh, destruction, of school, destruction of school property, possession of legal drugs, um, and recurring you know, types of offenses. And then there's also certain things that have to be reported to the deep Denver Public School Safety Department, specifically fighting. That has to get reported. The schools are required to report fighting to DPS's security department. Not necessarily to the police, but to the security department. With that said, that's a little bit of a framework. Um, what we wanted to do is, is get our, to hear from our panelists on some of the, the issues that are, have come up. Um, and I think we wanted to start very simply uh, with you guys getting a feel for what everyone does up here, what, what their role happens to be <laughs> with regard to uh, school security and their involvement with school security. And I'm gonna ask if you all will keep this particular comment as brief as you can and just kind of give us a, a groundwork. So um, 
Um, Denise, would you mind starting? No, not at all. Um, it, and I can be brief because I don't have a lot to do with school <laughs> security, so uh, I'll keep it really, really short and sweet. Um, in conjunction with um, Padres y Jóvenes Unidos, we worked on an agreement on with DPD and DPS on how to handle some of these disciplinary versus law enforcement violations. And so we look at it through the lens of the criminal justice system trying to be not to feed the school to prison pipeline, and that's essentially the lens at which the ACLU um, looks at all of these issues. Good evening, I'm uh, Ricardo Martinez. And a lot of was presented there, uh, no bragging, we made it happen. Back in, in, in early 2000s, uh, we pushed on DPS to rewrite the discipline policy and procedures. And then uh, when we got as far as we could, and then we pushed on the state to change the state law that mandated zero tolerance, mandated expulsion, suspensions, and calling the police and everything. And we changed that law in 2012. And then in 2013, uh, again, we pushed both on DPS and DPD that students be included in the rewrite of the IGA. And that was, that was signed off in 2013. Uh, so those, those documents and, that, and those policies were enacted because we had to push on them. So our, our involvement in this is that we, our drive is to change and stop the school to prison pipeline. Our drive is to change the policies in DPS that was throwing students out by the thousands. They were not, they were not dropping out, they were being pushed out. Uh, this school here, as I was listening, really embodies a lot of what we want to see in the school. That meaning that we have, we practice sane, restorative practices, and keep students in school learning. Make the school a welcoming, safe place. So that for us is our basic thing is we want to help redefine what school safety means and is. And, and then, then work on that. And also our push now is that we really want to reinvest monies that are being spent on the existing security systems and change them to have me really safe and secure schools that are much, much, much saner and much more supportive in terms of not having so many officers in the schools, but really having uh, counselors and specialists and more teachers and more programs. So quickly, as previously introduced, I'm uh, Ron Thomas, the D Division Chief of Patrol for the Denver Police Department. Uh, and in that role, uh, I, I manage all of the patrol resources, so each of the six patrol districts. And within each of those districts are Denver Public Schools. And so the school resource officers that are in each of those schools um, uh, fall under my command. Good evening, I'm Officer Francisco Alba. I'm the school resource officer at both Bruce Randolph and Manuel High School. My job function there is to help build relationships with the students and let them see that I'm a resource for them in time of need. Um, also, I'm, I'm also a, a person of, of a resource for the parents also in the community. Hi, my name is uh, Mike Eaton. I'm the chief of the Department of Safety for DPS and exactly kind of what you learned about us. Uh, really my responsibilities are to oversee all security and police operations within the district and also to liaison with the Denver Police Department on how we keep our schools safe throughout the district. Um, you know, really my job is to keep um, apprised of national best practices as well as what's going on in other large urban school districts and what is trending specifically, you know, in the safety arena to be proactive and not only, you know, keep our schools safe, but also how do we make and build positive relationships with our students to create inclusive communities. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Um, 
at this point, I, I know we have questions that we want to ask the panelists um, and, and see if we can get a, a dialogue going around some of these issues. Um, and I think um, Cisco has, has one. So in an in a ideal world, what training do you think that police officers need to have and school safety officers need to have um, as it regards to you know, their role within the schools? And is there any specialized training now that, that uh, they're in regards to dealing with youth, communication, behavioral management, those types of things? So if I could start off, so uh, the answer to that is yes. So, so I think in an ideal world, uh, you know, we would have those officers uh, trained in trauma-informed practices, um, having positive inter uh, interactions and communications with youth, understanding adolescent brain development, being able to uh, manage a crisis intervention, um, understanding mental health for first aid, uh, mental health uh, first aid for youth, uh, understanding implicit bias, cultural awareness, uh, things of that nature. Now, these are many of these things are things that are, are, are taught officers in the academy. So, as you know, every school resource officer is a graduate of our Denver Police Academy uh, and has spent a number of years on the police department before being selected by the specific school to serve uh, uh, in that school. Uh, the other thing uh, that, that we have each, uh, at, at the end of each school year, uh, there's an annual conference that is uh, put on by the Colorado Association of School Resource Officers. And at that, at that conference, um, they, they go over a lot of these same very topics uh, on an annual basis. And each of our CROs uh, goes to that class. I think it's also important to note that just about every one of our school resource officers has been through the uh, um, Effective Interactions with Youth uh, course, which is kind of a prerequisite for participating in the Bridging the Gap program that the OIM supports as well. So I think to add to that, to speak from the school safety side, um, you know, one of the benefits of having an internal school safety department is that, one is that you control hiring and training of your own staff, right? You control what are the needs of your district specifically that you need to focus on to support your students and to meet the needs that exist within your communities. And I really like to call these schools our school communities because, you know, serving 207 schools across the district, not one is the same. And so we really get an opportunity by not only looking for individuals that specialize or that have a interest and a talent for working with juveniles and working with um, students um, from all backgrounds. Uh, one of the things I'm very proud of is that my department uh, in the Denver Public Schools operations area is the most diverse department uh, amongst all the operational services. And so we hire individuals that connect with kids um, um, both, you know, from an ethnicity side, from a background, from, you know, interests and all of that. And so we have the ability to hire and look for specific people. When it comes to training, uh, we invest in a lot of training to make sure that our officers are ready to support our, our schools. In fact, when you look at the Council of Great City Schools um, um, uh, data, which is the top 60 urban schools across the country, DPS is ranked in the top five for the number of tr for the amount of training they give their staff, and it's not only in you know active shooter response and all those types of things, but really it's about how do you connect with students, how do you deal with students in crisis, how do you use verbal de-escalation skills, how do you how do you um, uh, uh, work with students of the LBGTQ community, how do you work with students of the autism community. 
And how do you support those kids? You know, one of the things we've we've been able to uh, do in DPS is, um, specifically with my department, is you know learn um, you know by connecting with those kids what challenges they're currently facing and what are the de-escalators and escalators so that we can support those kids the best we can. That is the value that we bring in not only our training programs, but also being in the school every day with those kids. Is there anything you would like to add to that, Ricardo? Like what you'd like to see as training? Uh, well, obviously we need more counselors and more mental health specialists. So we should hire more counselors and mental health specialists and take them out from the designation of campus security. That'd be the excellent training. Uh, just, but in the meantime, it's also just child development, brain development. You know, police officers are not trained for that. Uh, that's, a speci that's a specialized training. That's, that you go to school for that. Have to understand how to de-escalate, and how do you read the signs that 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 child or that youth is putting out in terms of how they want to be engaged. Uh, those are high-level skills that need you know specialized training for that. Uh, besides all the other stuff about uh, diversity and cultural competency and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's also just also what's a human being, and how do you how do you address that? And so, so for us as 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 we proceed, because it is such a special relationship, th there's already a whole field of folks who are doing that. And it's not called law enforcement; it's called counselors, mental health specialists, teachers. Those are the people that we need. If you don't mind, I'm just going to underscore very, very quickly just what Ricardo said. It actually doesn't take a whole lot of specialized training to read all the data and all the studies that conclusively have said that brain development is a slow process. And so really, we now know that at about 24 is sort of full brain development. That is where the experts are. That's what everybody tells us. And so if you can understand the mentality frankly, I can't, of a 15-year-old. But the point is, is that brain is not fully developed, and they're going to do a lot of things at 15 that at 25 they wish they hadn't done. And I think that anybody working with kids, I don't care if they're counselors, police officers, security resource, or whatever they are, they ought to know that point, and it's just conclusive by all the experts that that is, in fact, the case. If I may. Yeah. So... Being a school resource officer has its privileges because we get to work with the kids and the community and we get to build relationships. Relationships, in my opinion, is one of the most important key components of being a school resource officer. So there's a, a if you want to call it a, a, a program or a, a method, we call it the SRO triangle. On the top of the triangle, we're a police officer first, and then on one of the sides, we're a teacher, and on the other side, we're a counselor. Because there are many times out of my 12 years of being a school resource officer where I've had young adults come into my office, talk to me about their personal problems that they're going on with their home life. Um, sometimes they're going through some mental health issues, and we're all CIT certified. And every year we go through a class or we go through um, computer training on how to recognize young adults who go through some serious mental issues and we do our best to provide adequate services for them. Um, it, is a, it is a very difficult, it, it's difficult at times because you, you have so much empathy for these young adults and you feel so sorry for them and you wanna help them, but the relationship starts and that's when they open up and they, they talk to you. Um, a, a clear example of one that I've had here just prior to Thanksgiving, um, there was a young adult who was going through some acting out, behavioral issues, 
turned out that he's going through some mental issues at home because uh, family life wasn't the best, mom had left. And I asked him, I go, so what does Thanksgiving look like for you? And he just broke down, upset, crying, and, and he's like, we don't have a Thanksgiving. Um, it's tough, it's me, my sister, my younger brother, and my dad. And I was like, you know what, I'll take care of you. I got you guys this turkey dinner. So I bought them the turkey dinner. And it's the relationship. It's key, it's fundamental. And with that comes the openness to talk to SROs. The SROs of the past are, are the past. The new SROs, we really wanna work with the kids and try and either minimize or diminish the prison pipeline. If I could add something real quick. Um, uh, yes, absolutely. Just add something real quick to piggyback off of what Ricardo said is, and, and Ricardo and I have had a lot of discussions over the years around, you know, the best approach to reducing the school to prison pipeline. I think we're not far off in, in what we are trying to accomplish as, as individuals that are interested in school safety. Uh, we both want to keep our school safe, and I, and I applaud you for, for all your efforts in working with us on that to include the IGA. I think the, you know, the, the ability um, to do that in a multifaceted approach is absolutely important. And I think that we want more counselors, we want more teachers in our schools, we want that support staff. But you also have to have in individuals uh, from the law enforcement side, from the technology side, you have to have a multidisciplinary approach to school safety uh, in 21st century education. And so doing that collectively is really the approach we should be looking at and not reducing in one area and increasing in another. Yes, Katina. Um I'd like to ask a question. There are some disparity reports of students of color that receive the harshest forms of, of discipline. I have two questions either to you, Chief Thomas, or to Mike Eden, and that is how can we avoid criminalizing normal adolescent behavior? And two, how can we hold students accountable without excluding them from our schools? I think I'd rather have Francisco answer that question because that's something that I think he's involved in every day. Thank you, sir. So out of the 12 years of being a school resource officer, I learned very quickly that our young adults, they're emotional thinkers at first at this age. They get a thought process, they're emotionally making their decisions and they act on it without using the logic. And so one of the common denominators that I realized were that a lot of kids like to harass each other and they don't really realize that they're harassing each other. They're just trying to get even at the behavior that's being brought onto them from the other party. And so the other one would be interference with school and staff. Um, this is the student that continuously yells out, uh, disruptive, using foul language, really puts a barrier from the teacher to be able, being able to teach the class. So I created uh, what I like to call a no contact contract. I designed that so that there's an educational piece when teachers or a dean or a principal brings up to my attention, hey, Officer Alba, we've got a problem with this young adult. Um, this is the behavior that he's doing. As an example, they're harassing each other on social media. I bring out these contracts which specifically lets them know what they can and cannot do because now they're educated to say, this is what harassment is. There's no ticket, it's a warning. I work with them and the goal is to keep them in the class keep them on task and moving forward. Um, I'm not a fan of giving out tickets unless I have to. I'm not a fan of that. Um, these kids need to be in class. 
I think the answer to that from the D, and I'm sorry, I think my mic's going in and out here. Um, um, to answer that from the DPS side, I think one is it's a paradigm shift in how we look at our school resource officer program and our partners with either, whether it's school safety or whether it's law enforcement. Historically, school resource officer partnerships have been, we're the police, you're the school, and we keep criminal and discipline separate. And I'm probably one of the very, I'm probably the, the one of the very few leaders, you know, in urban school districts that um, uh, argue that concept because I don't believe that that decreases the student prison pipeline because officers working in schools, whether you're a police officer or a security officer, is going to come across certain situations that occur. And if they are not part of that school administration team, they don't trust the disciplinary process, they're going to be more apt to enter those individuals in the criminal justice system versus knowing, hey, there's a restorative justice practice here. There's a discipline matrix here. There are other avenues that I can partner with my school leadership team to help this kid rather than writing a ticket or arresting them and putting them in the criminal justice system. And that's why specifically in our IGA, we call that out as a partnership. Additionally, principals and school leadership sit on the interview panels for every SRO that are, that are assigned to DPS. Um, the police department will appoint those individuals, but every commander that I've worked with, to include the chief, has um, involved several stakeholders at the school level to ensure that we were getting the right fit for the school. And if you have that practice of one, thinking about SROs as part of your leadership team, and two, making sure their school involvement and their school feedback on their performance, you, you reduce the opportunity for individuals to um, move, change the discretion of moving to the criminal justice side. Just, just to add the, around the issue of disparities, uh, I got uh, a whole bunch of compliments and, and kudos for DPS, Denver Public Schools, and their shift on what, how they have had approached historically uh, student behavior. Right, and because before it was the, the three strikes and you're out, and there was zero tolerance, and you know I don't like that kind of child, you know throw him out, uh, you know wear your hat funny, and and you're you know now you're disruptive, and and a white student did the same thing, and a black student, or let's say a white student and a non-white student, so that can cover all the fields, and and not, you know and you were non-conforming, so if a white student did it. Yeah, you'll get a talking to. You might get, you know, the, the, the warning. But if you're not a white student and the, and, and the norm, you will get suspended, expelled, or ticketed and arrested. Mm -hmm. And we have the data. We've been showing this data now for years. Yep. So Denver Public Schools at the beginning, they were just monsters. They've been changing. They've been, they, they, have, they have changed the practices. What, right now we have a, a school for restored the practices. And we have two of the schools training other school members in here in DPS. It, it, it is a partnership. It's a national partnership because we know adults, not students, adults need to be retrained on how do they look at student behavior because most adults do not understand behavior if they don't look like them. So if you're a white teacher, you don't understand the behavior of a black student who you see as threatening, and it's not. So that's, those pieces are the harder pieces to get to. So it's, uh, again, this is not a, a critique of, of police. What we're saying is what we are doing in the schools, the, the money that we're spending is, ha is being misspent. All these comments that we're laying out are true. But there are better ways to address 
police and community relations rather than having the police officer in the schools. It's, it's, it's better, it's the better ways to address how do we conduct those communications than having the heavy presence of an armed officer in the school. You don't want to see a student walking by and they see a sidearm. So for us, it's how do we change the dynamic in the conversation, as we call the paradigm, of what school safety means from the community's perspective, from the student's perspective, not the adults. And I have to emphasize, our push on those changes was to control adult behavior because it was the adult behavior that was throwing kids out by the thousands and imprisoning them by the same thousands. So for us, as we, as we advance this conversation, and it's a good conversation to have, we just have to be, for us, really be open to changing the paradigm of what school safety means. And it, and it definitely does not mean for our organization and our community having more guns and bullets in the schools. Okay, so. Yeah. I just want to say, because I know the audience have their questions too, but Mr. Eaton, where you're talking about the paradigm pattern shifts of adults or just for the students? Talk about the, par the, the paradigm shift of the, uh, of, of the relationship of SROs working in schools and how historically that relationship or that model was very built upon a separation of police versus um, school administration criminal versus discipline. And I think what we've learned is that those interact and that we can't think of police just as the criminal enforcers. We have to think of police as individuals that are trying to create positive relationships with students. Because while we have them for eight hours a day, they're going to be in our, the students are in our communities at night, weekends. They're going to have engagement with the police department. And I think what a great opportunity in a, in a, in a, in a setting uh, of a school to foster those relationships. I'll just add that I don't. I, I think that those building those relationships and all is a great idea. I I hate to be sort of the sort of the one with the with the data, et cetera. But there is no question that all across the board in the criminal justice system, when we and most particularly now when we talk about youth, the Council of State Governments just released an important study where for the exact same behavior the exact same behavior. When police have discretion to arrest or to discipline, clearly kids of color are more often put into the criminal justice system than just given a disciplinary slap on the hand. That is in the data. It is absolutely, without a doubt, true. For the exact same behavior. This isn't, oh, you know, black and brown kids do things far more worse, and so that's why they're arrested more. No, we're talking about whether they're property crimes, you know, whether there are um, assault on each, on each other, whatever the crime is in every single category, black and brown kids are the ones that are paying the price. And we need to change that. I, I'm an absolutely supporter of we need to change the disproportionality of, of students of color, of color being entered in the criminal justice system. Those are national statistics, and, and, and they're, 
They're absolutely um, um, well, the terrible. The statistics I was citing are are Denver specific. Right. And so we I mean, you take a look at how many you take a look at how many Denver young Latino kids are being cited for curfew violations on federal, and they're not being cited. The white kids in downtown Denver. That is a Denver issue. These are not national statistics. These so are think, Denver. So I think those are issues that we need to continue to to um, address. Thank so you. I have a, a question regarding the DPS security. So as part of that, is there any citizen oversight of, of, their, uh, of the safety department? And uh, how many complaints were made? I know that's data you probably don't have right in front of you, but those are issues that I hear constantly amongst parents and students is like, because they confuse what, what we do as a COB. Where, you know, we have no jurisdiction over what DPS security does and things like that, but what is the oversight and are you open to having civilian oversight outside of the department to look at the practices to ensure that the intent is carried out in a meaningful way, not just said in words, because oftentimes in our community, people say the right things, but when it comes down to practice, they're not followed out. And we also have to agree that, you know, I think, um, that you know, trauma-informed care is is a great idea, but you know our trauma, now what? You never walked in a mile in the kids' shoes, you don't know what they've been through. So you have to change that lens to transformational healing practices that are rooted in relationships, that are also rooted in cultural, that are culturally appropriate for people. I mean, I look at the makeup of DPS teachers and this, and we know that there's a struggle going on. And, right. I, and you know, I've talked to some of your security, ask them about how they got trained in gangs and where did that come from, or because that's what I do in the community. So I, just to get an idea, I wasn't, you know, uh, badgering them or nothing. I just wanted to learn what they know. And, you know, they were fairly forthcoming about that. But going back to the, the oversight, um, are you open to that? And what is the current oversight state? So our current oversight is is really our board of education, um, you know, and and the superintendent's office. You know, we are employees of Denver Public Schools, just like any other employee within DPS. So we are required to follow, you know, the the, the policies and procedures set forth by the board of education. And so um, while the oversight ultimately resides with the superintendent and with the board of education and in, in the policy, um, we also have our our internal. Um, 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 uh, boards that review our conduct. If we have a complaint, we have a whole complaint policy, and it's not and it's not just re reviewed by my team. It's actually ran out of our legal office as well as our HR department and student services department. If we have something coming, but in. there's no outside community that looks at it. There's no outside other than people within DPS. That's correct. Um, the other thing that I want to point out, you know, in, in some of the things you brought up as well as what Ricardo's saying is that, again, I don't think we're far, far off on how we approach safety. I think one, but I do think that it is a multidisciplinary approach. I think what we're looking at here is we're looking a lot at the, you know, the, the, the disciplinary issues that may come up on a daily basis or the, you know, minor criminal conduct that comes up on a daily basis. But I don't think any of us in this day and age can turn a blind eye to the significant increase of school shootings that have occurred across this country. Um, I th and, I think and I think number two is that being a parent myself of two kids that were in, a, in the Arapaho High School shooting and the impact that that school resource officer had in that event um, really does exemplify, you know, the, the ability for 
um, folks that are trained in that emergency capacity to respond, act, and quite frankly, um, have an impact. And so while, while you know, those are absolutely few and far between, they are increasing. I think number two is that we have a great opportunity, and we've shown it this year, to capitalize on how do we help kids in, in, in crisis. Our kids that are having suicide risk reviews have doubled from last year, from fall to fall this year. My officers, along with the Denver Police Department, have been out on home visits on average every night because of a kid that has posted about either wanting to do a school shooting or, or kill someone, or they're gonna bring a gun to school, or they're gonna commit suicide. You know, these are real issues that we're talking about we're not, and, and that w kids that are in crisis that we need to follow up on at that time, 11 o'clock at night, midnight, and not wait till the next school day for a counselor to be available you know, and we potentially have a crisis on our hands. And so it's a lot more, school policing is a lot, a lot more than just walking the halls and, and connecting with kids. It's also a 24-7 operation on making sure that we are helping those kids that are in crisis and that we are also protecting our schools. Uh, again, what, what's, what's being raised is the need for more counselors and mental health specialists. So, uh, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, my debate here is whether in fact we need more guns in schools or do we need people who can help prevent the crises. Mm -hmm. See, and so to me, it, it, this approach is very similar to the, our medical uh, healthcare system here, that you treat the crisis, not prevent it. Because mm -hmm. there's more money to be made in the treating the crisis than the prevention of the crisis. Right? It's, a more, it's a more saner approach if we prevent the problem from happening than dealing with the problem afterwards and all the impact on the family and the community. It's so, I, don't, I don't disagree you know, with your experiences. I, I, yes, and, and some things we're really close on to what, how we should keep our schools safe. But what we totally go off on tangent is that school safety to us is not more cops. It's not, if, if we need to have people to go out there in the middle of the night to talk to students, then we should. You just don't need a sidearm. Mm. You, you, don't, you, don't need, you don't need to be the, the school resource officer. And so for us, it's, people have a role to play. And we should respect the roles. But we, where this school district and this city and county are totally failing our communities is that they're failing to recognize that their role is not the role that they're arguing for. And so, because if you are going for to have, to have presence in the schools because of all the things that you meet, I'd much rather have a counselor than a cop. Thank you, sir. I, I, I wanna say something, if I may. So, that's a, that's a very valid point, but I can tell you from firsthand experience through my careers in law enforcement, that whenever I've picked up a gun off of a student, it's because of the relationship I've had with the other students to tell me, hey, John Doe's got a gun. There is a significant piece in having an SRO in a school, building relationships. There are, it's great to have relationships. There are better ways. I can cite an example. I was in New York City, one of the, one of the schools that, that deals with the, most of the homeless kids in, in, in that borough. One kid out of fear and, and, and for his life and, his, and, his, you know, and just his life in general, brought a butcher knife to school. The students surrounded him, took him to the principal. They talked to the, you know, and, and, and the principal took him into the office. He had to suspend him because of what the law declared. 
right? There was no pop involved. I, I, look, it's, it's, not, it's not that your way is not the only way, and there are far better ways to deal with those, those situations than having you at the school. If we want to have a relationship with the students, we can find other ways. Yeah, but mean, we I can find that, other ways. Yeah, the point is, like, I mean, do you have to be an SRO to take a gun away from a kid? No. What you're talking about is you built a good relationship with that individual. Counselor can do that. Teacher can do that. A fellow student can do that. It's not a, it's not, I, I hate always being given the false choice. There has to be an SRO that'll do this work. Nah. And I'm not suggesting you don't do good work, sir. I, not at all. Um, and I, I, I sincerely mean that. Um, I'm just saying that I don't, I don't think it's, un, it's unique that, that it's the SRO that does it. You know, I think another point to make relative to having an officer, the benefit, I suppose, to having an officer in school is <clears throat> over the last four years, there's been an average of about 2,000 calls for service in schools, um, some high priority, some low priority. So for a high priority call, the average response time to a high priority call is about 12 minutes. Average response time to a low priority call is about 28, 29 minutes. So um, we're talking about... Uh, you know, you know we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to maintain a, a safe and effective learning environment. So um, when, when these instances call, uh, occur within a school um, that are interrupting that, that learning environment, I think it's been, it's been uh, beneficial to have a, an officer who is able to respond immediately um, and not wait 12 or 28 minutes uh, for a response so that we can restore you know, that, that, that positive learning environment. Okay, thank, thank you, that, that was a, a, a deep dive into very, like, really, philosophically, theoretically, right? What's the, what, what's the best way? How, how do we get our, keep our schools safe? And, and hearing some differences of opinion. Um, I think at this point, we would like to um, give the audience an opportunity to pose any questions that they might have to the panelists. And I, I would like to ask you, would you please state your name, and then can you hold your comment or question to less than two minutes? Thank you. Um, my name is Loretta Kavnis. Um, comments quickly. Um, Mr. Eaton, you are a security officer, not a police officer, so you shouldn't be policing schools. Mr. Alba, you are an SRO. You are not a teacher. They are trained very differently. I have worked as a teacher. I have worked as a mental health professional, and I have worked with officers. There is very different training involved. Please do not think that you are the other person. You have a job at the school. But my question is, at many schools I see three different uniforms on the security officers there. How many layers of security do you have at the school? And how much of the DPS budget are you utilizing for those layers? So currently we have um, primarily, I mean, really two uniformed units. One is our campus safety staff. They're in soft look polo shirts, blue polos. And then we have our armed patrol staff. They're more in a, um, a heart, um, uniform type look. Um, uh, uh, that, that support our schools. Um, we are less than 0.7% uh, of the um, overall district budget is, is uh, provided to um, uh, my department. Can you put a number to that? Uh, right now it's about 6.2 million. 
And what is the number for the amount that um, DPS pays DPD for security? The, the current amount that we currently pay for our SRO services? Yes. Um, I don't have that number in front of me right now. I'm sorry. And neither one that. of you have that number? Okay, thank you. In 2013, it was $3.5 million. Thank you. Ricardo knows all. My name is Robert Chase. Uh, my comment is uh, a procedural one. Uh, the language establishing this body, its own bylaws, and now uh, the, the city charter itself, both state of the board's meetings that, quote, the board shall conduct at least three meetings annually for public comment, end quote. It cannot be argued that a meeting, that meetings, uh, most of which are not devoted to public comment, are uh, being conducted for public comment, I think, but a meeting, the agenda for which does not even list public comment. This Chase. agenda specifically lists Mr. this Chase. time now as reserved for questions and answers. The, Ms. Banks Chase. intends to direct all I public will, comment about will, the issues raised in this That is actually not true. You don't know what I intend. You can't read my mind. Where is the public comment? Mr. Chase. You are flouting the city charter. That is actually not true. It is blatantly But obvious. what I would actually ask you to do, please, is right now we're having a conversation about this topic. There will be an opportunity for you to make public comment about whatever you Where want. Where is it on the agenda? I'm telling you, you will have it. Do you need it on the agenda in Indeed, order to have it? Because the city charter says that the purpose of this meeting is public comment. Well, I'm That's going, why. I'm telling you that there will be public comment. I said it okay, at the beginning. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's gross. But I, okay. It's I, I don't want okay. to argue with I, you. I about okay, this. I have a comment about the, the discussion here, and it, as usual, it gets so muddled so quickly. Mr. Martinez, I appreciate your remarks, but you are disagreeing. You are arguing a contrary point of view. I wish you would carry through with it and call forthrightly for the removal of school resource officers. That's what I understand you to mean, and I happen to agree. Uh, but there's, there's no question but that the function of, primary function of police is to enforce the law. And so all this it, it is just the most empty verbiage to suggest instead, oh, now we shall think of them as counselors instead. How can we get, uh, how can we have adolescent behavior dealt with appropriately in schools, Pastor Burleson? First, start electing non-fascists to the state government to repeal the fascist laws that make sex a every kind of felony, that, that make all kinds of conduct illegal, which adolescents engage in. Then remove those people who are charged with enforcing the laws from direct contact with students and instead invest the responsibility for school discipline back with school administrators where it used to lie. So, I mean, the, the answers are very simple and forth, uh, clear cut. And when you blur lines and when you go to such great lengths to suggest that police instead uh, are perfect perfect counselors, that they, that they combine both functions and that they are the way forward, no, it, it's, a, it's a ridiculously bad idea of some decades uh, duration which should now be rejected. Thank you for your comments, Mr. Chase. And uh, I just want to repeat, uh, we'll, we'll definitely circle back so you can have your public comment. But Madam Chair, can I just say this yeah. uh, to Robert? I don't lose my ability to belong to the public just because I'm on the Citizen Oversight Board. I'm a part of the public, too. Yes. yes. And that's all I'm saying, just yeah. because 
you know, you think that uh, we shouldn't have a say-so. I didn't say that. Well, didn't okay. Well, you're implying that we're not a part of the public. Not so. Okay. Yeah, but public right. comment is not, doesn't mean comment among yourselves. Good. Okay. Thank you. Uh, yes, ma'am. My name is Catherine Smith, and my question is uh, to Officer Thomas. You say that you can respond in 14 minutes or you can respond in 28 minutes, but what are we doing to make so you don't have to respond? What are we doing in the schools to stop those problems from happening? Are we teaching teachers about implicit bias? Are they treating black and brown kids differently than non-black and brown kids? Are we doing those things that prevent those sorts of issues from occurring? And I, I don't see that. And I also, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't see any members of the Board of Education here tonight. Yep. Are they here? Yep. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ms. Smith. All right. My name is Eric Penn. Uh, I have two things I think I would say. One is um, to Ms. May's point. I think it's troublesome when we continue to refer to these kids as young adults. Um, I think we want to be respectful of them as individuals, but it still um, propagates the idea that we're dealing with adults and that we don't have that same mindset that they do so that when we're engaging with them and they're engaging or acting in a way that we're not familiar with, it continues to propagate the problems that I think we see. Uh, secondly, I just have a question, I think, for DPD and for DPS. Um, with Caring for Denver passing and putting some money into the mental health system in Denver, is there any, are there any plans right now of trying to go after some of that money to support additional resources like counselors or therapists? I know part of the money separated is for uh, co-responders. Is any of that talked about for our um, SROs as well, or is this primarily for our officers um, working elsewhere? So as I understand it, a lot of that money is going to be for co-responders and for mental health services uh, within our communities, not necessarily uh, specific to schools, although I'm, I'm sure that some of the training that, uh, that we will all receive uh, will benefit our SROs as well. From DPS, um, I can't answer that question. We can refer that to our um, executive director of school and of um, uh, Office of Social Emotional Learning. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Penn. Uh, buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Lorena Limón. Este, yo voy a hablar en español. Aquí mi amigo yeah. me va a ayudar a traducir. Este, yo les voy a hacer una pregunta al jefe de la policía. Este, en, en, qué, ¿En qué ayuda la policía en DPS, en, en la, estar dentro de los edificios de las escuelas? ¿En qué es lo que ayudan? Could you? How do you support uh, by being in the schools? And this is the question for Ron Thomas. How do I support by being in the schools? I think, I think we're, we're, we're supporting by having that, that, that positive engagement and interaction with youth in, in schools. Pues yo no creo que entre los policías y los padres haya una una buena relación porque yo tuve una mala experiencia en Lincoln. Este me me llamaron que tenía que firmar unos papeles para que mi hijo estuviera asistiendo a la escuela, que si no lo iban a a correr de la escuela. 
Yo le dije a la persona que, que me dijo que le firmara el papel, yo no firmo nada. Well, I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think you're having good interactions in schools. And this was my experience at Lincoln High School, where I was called into the office uh, for me to sign papers and transfer my student out. Uh, and an officer, an SRO, was used in this meeting to try and have me sign those papers and ask me to sign to transfer those papers uh, and transfer my student out of the school. Llegó el asistente del director, me dijo que tenía que firmar ese papel. Les dije, no firmo. No firmo. Me, me dijo, el, llamaron a, a otra persona, era el policía que está en la escuela en la Lincoln. Me dijo, tiene que firmar. Le dije, no. Y usted a mí no me va a intimidar porque está aquí en la escuela. Yo no me intimido por un uniforme que usted trae. Porque usted no está aquí en la escuela para intimidarme a mí. Usted está, por, usted nada más está estorbando porque ni el orden tiene en la escuela. Porque en esa escuela los estudiantes se salen todo el tiempo. El 80% de los estudiantes se sale de Lincoln porque no soportan al director, porque no es un buen líder. That is not what's happening. There, there was an SRO that was called into this uh, meeting with uh, Lorena and her son for her to transfer her student out of the school. The, the SRO asked her, you have to sign those papers uh, after she refused by the principal and the assistant principal to sign them. Uh, so she's saying SROs are taking too much space uh, in schools. Okay. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Muchas gracias. Y no queremos policías en las escuelas. Queremos consejeros, trabajadores sociales, <coughs> Y psicólogos, no más policías. We don't want police officers in schools. We want psychologists, social workers, no more police in schools. Uh, my name is Jasmine Gonzalez. Uh, my question is, why do you think students of color are disproportionately referred to school safety department or to an SROs over their white peers for the same behavior? Um, that's a that. I have the exact same question. Um, I mean, honestly, I, I think, um, I do think there's an implicit bias. I think it is very present and um, it, from the ACLU perspective, because we deal with different um, touch points in the criminal justice system and you know, shocked face is that at every touch point, there is a disproportionate impact on communities of color. And what's really, I think, perhaps more distressing about the fact that it's happening in schools is that that entry point could mean the whole difference in that particular kid's life and a huge difference in the lives of their parents. Um, I'll give you another little quick short example of there, there can be a child that is sent to detention. And I, d I only learned this today, that in some instances, they actually are held until their parents are able to pay a bond to get them out. That's happening in some jurisdictions. Not, um, I, I don't know if that's happening in Denver, but I'll find out. And um, that creates a whole other avenue of how individuals stay stuck in the criminal justice system. And when we were talking about brain development, another thing that's really true about brain development is detention is unequivocally bad for kids. Mm -hmm. 
You, most kids that are picked up by the criminal justice system and put in detention are already suffering from trauma, and now they're even further traumatized when they're put into the criminal justice system. They are apt to reoffend, and they are apt to get back into the criminal justice system. We have set them on a poor path, and we have to get out of that punitive criminal justice mindset, period. And, and I mean that for all kids, yes. not just kids of color, obviously all kids. I would ask them, I would ask the enforcers to answer that, you know, give the thoughts as to why that disparity. So thank you, Miss, for your question. That's a really good question to ask. I can't speak for other schools. Only I can say is out of the, the schools that I work in, I only deal with the young the children, young adults, students, however it may be, on an individual basis. If there's an issue, I try to find a, a, a non-criminal way to deal with the issue. I like An example would be um, bad driving. If I were to give a ticket out to the student for bad driving, then the question would be is, well, who's really got to pay that? It's the parents. And so now you've got two upset people. You've got the student driver, and now you've got the parents who are upset. So what I've realized is that if I make a phone call home to parents, parents are much more appreciative of me calling home and saying, hey, your son is doing X, Y, and Z, and this was a hazard. Um, can you talk to him about this? Because if another officer would have pulled them over, it would have been a ticket. And so the parents are super appreciative of that. As far as uh, an issue between color or race, I don't, I don't decide on who I speak to. Um, situations are presented to me. I wasn't born in this country. I came here to the United States when I was four years old. So I know some of the struggles that some people go through because I lived it myself. I treat everyone as best as I can. I treat the other person as how I would want them to treat me. So I can't speak on, on you know, your question, sir, was very good. Um, but I can't speak on other officers or other schools and how they're done, except to tell you that how I do things, I try and do everything I possibly can to avoid legal ramifications. And, and, and again, this is, uh, we should do our best to take these broad points or questions about uh, why it happens and take it out from the individual and put it in the system. Because uh, as a system, the police departments across the country are bigoted and racist. The data shows it. Not individuals, again, not individuals. My first conversation we had with DPS when we were trying to rewrite the policy and procedures for, for behavior, uh, and we showed the disparities, they said, well, were you calling us racist? I said, no, I'm not calling you a racist, but we are working in a racist system. The facts show it. If you have the same behavior of a white student and a black student or a Chicano student or a Native American student, the same behavior, and one gets a talking to and one gets expelled, why? And so not that you are the racist, but the practices and the procedures and the policies and the experience in this country shows us a definite bias, to, to use a kind word, and to use the, the, real, the real word, the, the real racism that's embedded in this country. And so, the, the, again, the data shows it. And anybody who says doesn't exist is not only a climate denier, they are a reality denier. So, I, so again, it, you know, our response is 
to a system, if we put it in that context, it's not you. It's, but the department that you work in, sure, sell this. That I, can, I can show you the numbers as to who gets ticketed and who doesn't. Well, sir, I can, I can tell you right now, if I may, ma'am, is that I want to work with you. And I hope that you understand that I want to work with everyone on this panel and the community so that our kids stay in school, they get their diplomas, and they're successful leaders in our community. That's my goal. So, I mean, respectfully, if you want to say that you don't want cops in the schools, I have to respectfully disagree simply because I know I'm making a positive difference in the schools. And I'm not just inventing that. I'm being told by students, staff, and parents out in the community. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and I, again, we, I think we have the same goals that we want to have, you know, students succeed. Well, let's work together. And, and, that's, and, and we can work together if we say, you know, uh, let's find common solutions and then let's have an open conversation as to what really is needed in the schools. And if, I, if our information, our data, our uh, research shows that policing the schools is bad, would you say that, you know, I think we should advocate and get the police out of the schools? Respectfully, no, because well, I know that we're effective. Well, that's, why, that's, that's, that's the whole point of the debate is that you already made a decision without having studied the whole data, not yours, not even the SROs or five or 10 or whatever. <laughs> this, look at what is helpful and what is harmful in our schools and what are better ways to deal with all the stuff that you're raising here in terms of uh, student needs, student crisis, school crisis, you know, school needs. If we can find a better way and I can show you a better way, then if we can have that conversation, but if from the start you're saying, no, it ain't gonna happen, then how can you give me the call, let's work together? Um, thank you, I also have another question. Oh my Do you think it is one. wise? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Do you think it is wise to allocate so many financial resources to hearten our schools rather than address the mental health crisis our students face? So, it really is the same <laughs> question. You're, 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 you like to really bring up these really fiery, uh, like give us the softball they questions, matter. don't you? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> of course, I mean, I think uh, Ricardo um, answered it earlier really far better than I could ever articulate. But yeah, I think if we put more money into that, you don't you you prevent crisis from happening, and so then there is um, you know no need for enhanced security measures. And I think that's what we're all talking about is that's a better answer to the problem, um, you know, than police and security scanners and you know bulletproof vests and and whatnot. So I think we to to answer that from the school side, I think one is that you know again. Um, uh, if we lived in a perfect world, um, I'd love it to where when I grew up, I walked into my school, the doors were open, and, um, um, you know, uh, uh, free-flowing and, and off-campus lunches and all those types of things. And I would love to, I would love to uh, have that opportunity. For, I would love for my kids to have that opportunity. I really would, uh, that I grew up with. Unfortunately, we don't right now. And I think it's more than just, while I do agree with Ricardo and with folks here about we need more school counselors, we absolutely need more mental health supports. But 
just putting those into the school and taking out you know another effective resource is not the answer right now in this in this in this in in, in our society. I think there's a lot of things that we need to address. Not only, but but how do we support parents at home? How do we support our communities when our kids aren't at school? How are we giving you know single parents and folks that you know may not have not had a structured background supports in in supporting their kids so that they aren't engaging in those risk behaviors? But I also believe it's also we need to have inviting school cultures and an inclusive community. Our schools cannot look like prisons. Our schools cannot look like fortresses. So we don't have metal detectors in our schools. So I don't bring drug-sniffing drug dogs through our schools, which other large city school districts are doing. And you look at states like Florida and who are now mandating that an armed police officer be in every single th school throughout the state, in my opinion, is not an effective way to to utilize school police and to also have an effective security program. And so while I agree that we need more mental health supports and more resources, the answer is not just pulling a, one resource out and replacing it with another when you have a much larger community issue that you have to deal with. Thank you. Thank you. In the interest of time, um, at, can we keep our comments, questions brief? Thank you. Thank you. My name is Isa Vasquez, um, and I was an educator. Um, I grew up in the east side. I went to Bruce Randolph uh, Middle School and High School. Uh, I worked at Cole, um, and also have a lot of educators who work at, um, friends educators who work at Emanuel. Um, you know, an SRO can never, in a school building, ever replace a psychologist or a social worker. Um, you just can't, not even a teacher, even though we build relationships with them. We know them, we know their families. You will never be, uh, unless you take that study and you train and you become a psychologist, you, you will not be able to replace that. Um, one of my uh, questions, and I, when I used to work at the schools and growing up, uh, one of the fears in, in the community is that you know we have a lot of undocumented and mixed status com uh, families at DPS. Uh, so one of my questions is, uh, does DPS, does, do the SROs uh, ever share uh, information regarding a family's uh, undocumented immigration status with, with ICE? Uh, because the last time that we saw um, many of our family members was when they came in contact with a police officer out in the community. Um, and then they ended up being deported after that. So it's very triggering to see a police officer or a police patrol car in front of a school as parents are dropping or picking up their students from school. Um, do you ever share any of the information with, with ICE? Uh, how do you deal with, with the undocumented community? So I can certainly appreciate that concern, uh, but I can tell you that it is actually against our policy to share uh, that information with ICE. So, so we, we don't even ask uh, status information of students in schools. Uh, from the district side, we don't either. And it's been very uh, public uh, by our Board of Education um, and our, our board members here um, that we don't care about immigration status, that all DPS kids are our kids, and that information is not shared, um, nor will we release it upon request. Thank you. And, and I am calling from uh, Police Free Schools. Um, and you, Chief, uh, you mentioned that you are in charge of uh, implementing national guidelines as well, uh, but in what's trending, right? That was your, your opening uh, sentence. However, what's trending right now at the federal level uh, are guidelines that are pretty racist, pretty uh, homophobic and xenophobic, because we know where they're coming from politically, right? We all know this. Um, so just want to say that. Um, 
it's at a local level where you can also protect students. Um, and, and it's very triggering to have a police officer in front of a school. Um, just wanted to make that a comment. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, hi, my name is James Meekum. Uh, the first, I, I kind of want to circle back around to this conversation of um, disparities in discipline uh, between uh, students of different uh, ethnic groups. Uh, the first question of the night was asked by Pastor Burleson, and in my opinion, it still really hasn't been answered. Um, what specific, documented, publicly accountable policies is DPD and DPS enacting to address statistically proven disparities in discipline? So I think from DPS, I'm not the right person to answer that question. That would be for our, our Office of Social Emotional Learning. And so I would recommend maybe if this comes up in the future to have an individual from there, I, I, I can't answer your question. All of our policies, the ones that govern every officer, including the officers that are in the schools, uh, you know, uh, prohibit bias. But they don't, they, they don't work. So what's, what's being done to change them or fix them? Well, I, I mean, anti-bias policies exist forever, yeah, but the statistics bear out that they're a failure. I understand. Nothing. So you're doing nothing. That's not accurate. Doing nothing is not accurate either. I mean, the SROs that I, that I closely work with are my partners, and I know them on a professional level, and when we go to training, we're, we're there now personal. We're, we're learning, we're trying to get new ideas on how to be effective. Not one of us that I'm aware of ever go out of our way to try and be biased towards anyone. DPS has a matrix that's specifically used, and they do go by, I mean, it's a, there's a lot more to the matrix than, than what's posted on that um, uh, projector, but um, my, my point with that is that we don't go out of our way to to try and get kids into trouble. When a dean or a staff member brings a, a situation to us, we try to resolve it as best as we can, keeping in mind what's going on with this young adult, child, student, and what's going on with their life. What's going on uh, at home? What's going on with their grades? Why are they not in school? Why are they just here and then they're having issues? And nine times out of 10, the term mental health has been brought up several times, and I agree. I 100% agree. But there are other resources, and, and I know that maybe this answer might not be right, but all we can do is go by the matrix, and because that's what gets presented to us. So I'll cede time to the people behind me, but I'll just say it, it's, it's not really worthwhile to hear what your personal opinion of your own work and your friend's work is. There is... The, the data is inarguable at this point. So it's just really not interesting. Yeah, so maybe this is the wrong format. All right, hi guys. Um, I spoke earlier, my name's Jenna. Um, I just wanna say that how come we don't have a lot more counselors or you know, a lot more people? Cause I don't need a badge to tell me to go to class, you know? I shouldn't have my friends feel any type of way because of the batch. They should be able to go to class and feel as normal as anyone else. Um, we also, I feel like we need a lot more mental health um, issues, especially here in Denver. 
um, not just schools, um, community as, you know, and sorry I don't have the big words to say it all, but I feel as that we need to have a lot more counselors. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hi, my name is Rashawn Bliss. Um, appreciate all the conversation we've had. Um, I actually just want to repeat my friend's question over here um, back to you, Mr. Eaton, um, which is, are there things you can point to that the Department of, the Department of Safety inside of DPS is doing to reduce its reliance on police? Because we come from, so I'm part of a group of the Denver Justice Project, and we think that in lots of ways, you know, the saying that when you're holding a hammer, every problem looks like a nail is just super true. Um, that, you know, when you are, have a police officer, you've got paramilitary training, you've got legal training. Um, there's a few others now, but that's the major part, and that's the hammer you, you apply to all your problems. Um, and the same with um, the safety department seems to be true that, like, you guys rely on that hammer um, of, of these SROs a lot. Um, so, and I want to know, can you point to any sorts of developments in the safety department right now that are moving away from hammers towards screwdrivers, jackhammers, pliers, other tools that are not police officers? No, thank you for that question. I think, one, it's, it's important to point out that in any other metro city district, we have the least amount of SROs assigned in DPS. We have a total of 18 covering 19 schools when we service 207. When you look at Jeffco, you look at Aurora, you look at Littleton, you look at um, Adams 12, which are other large districts, mm -hmm. they have almost 10 times the amount of school resource officers in their schools than, than DPS does because, because we take an approach that is, again, a multidisciplinary, multifaceted approach to school safety. It's not just about police officers in schools. It's so, not just so about... That's what I, that, my question was, right. what are the things that, are, that you're doing to move away from police officers, reduce your reliance even further? That's my question. Are there things? One of the things we're doing is, is my officers are uh, uh, required to do engagement opportunities with kids. They're required to read in classrooms. They're required to have lunch with kids. They're required to connect with kids and also how do we, you know, also support when we have safe to tell, when we have other information coming in, how do we get those referred over to our social workers and our counselors immediately and not just to us or the law enforcement? Gotcha. Um, I, I just want to say as someone um, who really cares about our community um, and safety and especially for our young people, um, I think, I hope that you're taking at least a message from this forum that we want to see you using, doing more to move away from using police officers in our schools. Mm -hmm. um, I asked you what you were doing and you said you're asking officers to read in class, you're asking officers to go to community and like that's not actually what we want at all. We want the opposite. We want you to find ways to go beyond and past and around um, any reliance on police officers in our schools because they don't serve a lot of the, the communities that we come from in the ways that they want to right. um, with their good uh, intentions. Um, so right. I just want to say that, like, I hope you're taking that message that we want. You I to absolutely move away am. From that. And, and I think for point of clarification, my, off, my staff are not police officers. They are security resource officers. They are non-armed security officers working in schools that are connecting with students. Those are the individuals that are being mandated to connect with those students in those types of ways. Excellent. That's good. Um, I think that we also don't really want that that kind of security people personnel either. That's we. I perceive them pretty 
pretty closely, and I think most people from poorer or black and brown communities would, would too. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Thank so, you, Mr. So Bliss. You just, Mike, just to clarify, are you saying that presently there, there aren't 38 armed school security <laughs> officers in DPS? There, the, so there are 38 armed individuals, but they're not assigned to schools. But, but those are living bodies with sidearms on their side. They, they, they have guns. They have guns and bullets. They are patrol officers, investigators, and individuals from a command staff, but they're not assigned to schools. They right. provide a resource. But, it, but they it, have guns. And, but they're, they're not just the campus security with the polo shirts. They're not, they're not campus security right. officers. So they, no there's, there's a different, different division that has it's 38 people with sidearms and bullets mm -hmm. and the special cars. And so I want to make, make sure that we understand fully the, 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 the complexity of what, what DPS has in its pocket and not just 18 SRO officers that are, you know, and they got more in Jeffco. Because that's not quite accurate. It is, but, but, but we can agree to disagree. How many, uh, is there an armed security at Cole Middle School right now? No, Cole there's school a school, school resource officer assigned by the Denver Police Department. So there's one, and, and that, that was a prior one before the shooting? Mm -hmm. No. no that, that was actually requested by the school after the incident, correct? Uh, okay. That was requested by DSST, which is a charter school, and they, and they pay for that resource. Thank you, sir. Hello, everybody. My name is Tim Lopez. I am the chair of criminal justice for the Denver Democrats. I'm also the vice chair of public policy for the Denver Democrats. Um, this is a very interesting topic. I'm very familiar with the uh, Nick and uh, the Cobb group, uh, I've had them in my deal. With Ms. Mays and the ACLU, I've had them at my deal. With Ricardo Martinez, I had Padres Unidos at my deal. With uh, Chief Thomas, I've had your folks at my deal. You may be familiar with the Broadway Cop Shop. Yes. I'm the founding board member that opened it. I've worked with District 3 and District 4, worked with DPD quite a bit. Mr. Eaton, I'm a graduate of Denver Public Schools. I work for Denver Public Schools. I know the Denver Public Schools. So this is an interesting topic because there is racial disparity. And we have problems. And one of the problems is, and I will tell you, we do not need officers in the school district with sidearms. Now, we can have officers, but they should not be with sidearms. Okay, I can tell you there are members of the Colorado Board of Education who are against having sidearms, having teachers with arms in schools. So Mr. Eaton, when you sit there and you say, well, there's this, there's this, and there's that, there's a lot of other people would disagree. Ms. Mays and I have sat there at the state legislature. We can tell you story after story of parents coming forward and the debates that we have because we work on public policy and we work with state legislatures. Mr. Martinez and I can tell you, and Ms. Mays as well, we get reports from citizens who come and tell us of the disparities of racial divide that is actually there. I think, Chief Thomas, that you would agree when things happen out on the streets, it carries over to the schools. But you would also agree, I think, Officer Alva, is that a lot of times you're very seen as intimidating. And I'll give you an example. In the Jesse Hernandez shooting, right, and it affected a, a particular group of folks but then when they went to school and they see you there, well, look how she was treated. Look at how the mayors responded. Look at how these people have responded. And here's this officer. Do I trust him? Do I feel comfortable around him? Because I just watched somebody get shot and replayed over in the way it was handled. 
Now, Mr. Eaton, if you seem to think that that's the proper way of things that happen in schools, then we have a very serious problem. Another problem that we have here is that when I look at this panel, there's three people are missing. And so, you know, I, I commend you guys, and I know that you work hard, and that you are trying your best. But, you know, I don't see a member of the Denver Public School Board here. I don't see a principal here and a teacher. Well, they should be up on this panel addressing some of these questions as well and how this works. So as Mr. Ricardo said, or Martina sat there and said, you know, you could wear your hat this way or you could wear your hat that way. Well, I've got reports of immigrants that have gone in who have been assaulted and sat there and talked with the SRO and the school officer and then talked with the principal who then was told, well, we don't recommend that you do anything because you will be deported. Now, this person has been assaulted. We're running, it, we're running out of time. And so that is a piece of those issues sir. that aren't being addressed. Thank so you. these are the issues that we cannot take lightly and that are serious issues that do need to be addressed. So I can commend you guys for attempting. But I would encourage you to take to heart what Ms. Mays and Mr. Martinez are telling you because there is a lot of work to be done and it is not doing, we are falling short at it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So there's, there's two more people who want to make a comment regarding uh, the topic, and, and then uh, Mr. Chase wants to make a public comment. Hello, my name is David Royball. Um, I'm a student of prep, the school before this, and uh, I'm also a student of uh, SRO Chavez, Pacheco, Flo Nagel, and staff. And I'm also on the ballot for city council and, you know, to let those SROs know that I'm seeking public office. So I'm a product of it. You know, when I, I came to PrEP, I got expelled from Blake. PrEP gave me, a, you know, a chance, was acceptance to the community, and it's hard. And right now our kids are affected by the gentrification. As when you see Lake, all the schools around, I mean, the surrounding houses, they don't go to that school. School's very divided. You know, there's no accountability from the city for the changing of our schools but the police within our schools. And, we, and I hope there's a representative from the Child Affairs Office. And I don't see nobody from city council, but I hope that we could see more people from the firefighters and the city jobs because, and let the students know that they could be the future, you know, firefighters and police officers. And, and, and bringing this meeting show, there's a lot of, um, you know, d dissension between the, the public and the community and especially in our schools. And to go back from the history of independent monitor from Paul Childs and the student in the north side, you know, that was 16 years old, you know, he got his, his back jumped on. There's been a lot of issues with teens, you know, getting hurt by police. And I know there's a lot of um, healing that we have to do as a community. And we hope that the DPS board could take this into consideration and that the schools could be more open to community leaders, not only put more police, but people that live in that community that went to that school that you know, our prime example, like me, running for public office and to call out to moral leaders, you know, to invest in our schools, and we have the job to do as a community. And I just want to say the, the SROs, Officer Chavez, he's been there for me. I also end up working with them, and, and they are good, and you guys, you deserve the credit because you did, you know, you looked out for us, you raised us, you gave us advice, and thank you. Thank, thank you. you. So I'll make mine really quick. I'm Michelle Cruz. I'm with the Denver Public Schools. Before that, I was with the Denver Sheriff's Department for nine years. My father was a law enforcement officer for 33 years, um, did his job with pride, um, and is like other officers who do um, this incredible work, um, and people don't give them enough credit. 
Um, and I want to sit here and, and thank you for what you do because a lot of people are here to bash and have the right answer of saying, this is what we need, this is what we need. What we need is to come together and figure out a plan of how we educate our children. What's going on at home? What are the parents, where's their role in this? You know, so we need to look at this from all angles. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, it's, it's hard. Um, sorry, I'm like a little nervous. Um, but I think it's just hard that we, we know that there's biases and racism in this whole nation. So it's not gonna just stop at the Denver Public School level. It's not gonna stop at the Denver PD. It's never gonna stop with the Sheriff's Department. We need to all come together as a community and figure out how to raise our children and get them through school and get them on to be better in the future. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Mr. Chase, before you speak, I just wanna just acknowledge I mean, a lot of people made public comments here tonight. I mean, the, everyone's had the opportunity to speak. And frankly, you also have the opportunity to speak. Will you please keep your comments to two minutes? I will try. I, I would note that a couple of the commenters recently, uh, their comments indicate that most of the audience tonight has not understood that this is not the Citizen Oversight Board. The Citizen Oversight Board's uh, defective practice of sitting intermingled with various officials and members of the public leads people not to really understand what it is. The Citizen Oversight Board, four of the we seven members, ourselves, are on Mr. this Chase. side. Mr. Chase, yes. we, we introduced ourselves. People, Nonetheless, people, people don't realize because you sit together that you are... This is supposed to be a meeting of the Citizen Oversight Board, and the city charter says that the meetings are for public comment, not that some public comment be allowed or that a special exception be allowed for one person that wishes to address Actually, issues. other people You're interrupting public me. Comments, the Mr. very Chase. few you say have two minutes and then you take away that. <laughs> a lot of us here, to, several of us here tonight would like to complain about the city of Denver's ongoing war against the homeless and its unconscionable treatment of, the, of homeless people. And the, it is wrong that the city abuse its police in that way. It is bad policy. The mayor of this Sorry. city, the incompetent mayor, deserves a lion's share of the blame for picking up the Downtown Denver Partnerships initiative uh, to, of waging war against homeless people to drive them away from uh, the place they do business. I'd just like to urge everyone here, like to take this opportunity to call on all of Denver and the country to boycott all of the merchants of the downtown partnership and the 16th Street Mall until the urban camping ban is rescinded. It's time that we take effective action. It's time that this board figure out what it wants to do. You, you, you the, the bylaws say that this is just a basic, it suggests that it's a complaint session. You want to turn it into a, a, a showcase for, for efforts Chase, that are successful in the city. Could you wrap up your comments, please? Yes. You need to change the bylaws now. You, you need to change the city charter. You, this ineffectual system of oversight was instituted by John Hickenlooper. It does not constitute independent investigation of complaints against police. It should be rescinded. Instead, you cast it in stone by putting it into the charter. And you copied the vague language stating the purpose of meetings from the bylaws into the charter. Thank the you, board, Mr. Chase. The board's meetings are for public comment. You are flouting the charter by turning the, most of the purpose of the meetings to another one. That is shoring up 
the support for the mayor in his bid for re-election, pretty much. Thank you for your comments, Mr. Chase. I have a question about the citizen. I just uh, have a comment that I would like um, the Citizen Oversight Board to look into um, the Denver Police's uh, involvement in the sweeps of mm -hmm. homeless people um, down by 22nd and Lawrence. Um, there's been a lawsuit that's ongoing that's still in court about whether or not their practices are unconstitutional, um, but they're still engaged in it. And I, I want to know if you guys can look into it. Is that Can you do that? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for this very robust conversation. I want to thank our panelists for being here and, and, and providing us with um, information, um, a, a really a robust dialogue about a very, very difficult topic. And um, I want to thank you all for being here, you know, on a, on a, uh, a Thursday night. You could be anywhere, and you, and you came here because you care about your community, and I want to thank you for that. Um, I guess I'd like to wish you all a safe trip home, and uh, we'll, we'll be in touch soon. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.